You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. When we trust Christ in this life and surrender our life to Him as Lord of our life and we are saved and we're forgiven of sins, we experience a resurrection on the inside. But the day is coming when Jesus comes back. When this is all said and done, we'll see in just a minute that we will experience a resurrection. Those who follow Christ will experience a resurrection physically on the outside. And so I want you, if you would, to take your Bible and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to talk about that, about the resurrection, and and then really what it means for us because there is a life after death, because there's a life after the grave, what it means for you and for me to live for eternity. To, to, to live for that time, not just for this time. It's dangerous, as I was just mentioning a minute ago, if we live only for today. It's dangerous if we only live for our retirement years. It's dangerous if we're only planning through the day we die and through, you know, make sure even if we have, well, I've got my insurance, I've got, you know, my burial plots or whatever. If you get to that point, it's dangerous if that's all that you're planning for in your life because the Bible, we'll see, tells us there is a complete afterlife that we need to be planning for and we need to be prepared for and we need to be living for today. So I want to read just a a few verses this morning. This is a long chapter, but I'm only going to look at two or three, well, three or four little sections, but a few verses. So read with me in chapter, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 12. If you don't have a Bible open, it'll be on the screen there. The Bible says this, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Paul was writing to a church at Corinth, and the people in the, there were people in the church who were saying, you know, Jesus may be raised from the dead, but we're not. None of us, like once a person dies, they die. That's it. It's over. It's done with. You get this life, however many years you get to live, and that's it. There were people in the church teaching that, and Paul had to straighten them out, if you will. He says, wait a minute. If Jesus is pro- raised from the dead and it's proclaimed, how can you say that nobody else is raised from the dead? He says in verse 13, If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith is in vain. I want to answer four questions this morning that, uh, about this whole idea of the resurrection. You know, people coming back to life that that after our bodies, whether you've been cremated, whether your ashes have been scattered, whether they've been laid in, a, in the ground in a tomb, whether whatever happens to you, uh, whatever happened to the people who recently burned in the fire in California where they cannot, I mean, just horrible tragedy, whatever that looks like for us, the Bible teaches us that, that all of us as people are eternal, and there is going to be a resurrection And Jesus Christ is coming back for those who have surrendered their life to Him, like precious Ella has done in her life, to raise them from the dead and give them eternal life forever with Him in heaven. Forever. So the first question I want you to answer, I want to answer this morning is, is that real? Is that legit? You know, to the modern mind, like Sean, really? I mean, come on. There's no scientific proof. I mean, this is like fanciful. This is fairy tale. You were reading way too many Dr. Seuss stories when you were brought up. Like Sesame Street did not teach you this, Sean. Where did you go astray? You know, and you definitely didn't get this in college. 
Well, as we talked last week, guys, as we looked at Jesus' resurrection last week, there were 500 witnesses that saw Jesus Christ rise from the dead. There's not a judge, a jury, a law enforcement officer in this country that when 500 people have seen clearly an event happen that would reject that reality. We assume, we convict people on historical events that occurred based on eyewitness testimony, and not 500, but much less. It is an absolute fact, looking at all of the evidence that Jesus rose from the dead. And Paul says this morning, guys, if Jesus rose from the dead, then those of you who follow Jesus are going to rise from the dead as well. That day is absolutely coming. Let me tell you what Jesus said in his own words. He says this in John 5. It won't be on the screen, but let me read it to you. He says, truly, truly, which means pay attention, listen up, heads up, look out. An hour is coming. There is a marked moment in time, and it is now here. In other words, it is right on us. When the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, that's an irony, isn't it? Dead people don't hear. So already the dead are going to hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear Him will live. For as the Father has life in Himself, so He granted Son to have life in Himself. Verse 28, I'll read. Do not marvel at this. Don't be shocked. Don't think this is weird or surprising. He says, For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear His voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Wait a minute, Sean. I thought Jesus just said, those who hear His voice will rise. Now it says all will rise. Here's what's going on. The day is coming, guys, and I'll talk about this more in just a minute. But when Jesus Christ comes back, there's going to be a resurrection of everyone. And everyone will either go literally to a heaven, to a place of eternal life with Christ, or they will go to a place of eternal separation from God forever, a place that we, the Bible calls hell. And Jesus says there is going to be a clear demarcation for, those, for two types of people. So the resurrection is absolutely real, and it's something we should prepare for. Think about it this way. How many of you guys have retirement plans? How many of you are thinking about retirement? Okay. I don't think a lot about retirement, but I have noticed the older we all get, the more we all start thinking about it, right? It becomes reality. Some of you are thinking about it a whole lot more than others because you're a little bit older than others, and some of you, not so much. Um, if anyone tells, if I know anything about retirement, everyone says you need to think about it basically the day you start working, right? You need to be planning for that time when you can't work and you won't, and you start laying aside and all of that. It's kind of foolish to not think about the time where you're not going to want to work or be able to work. Life expectancy is a long time, right? 20 years, 30 years after that, you need to plan for that. It would be foolish not to. How much more foolish if we don't think about eternity, about life after this life that lasts forever, and about a situation where you can't go back and you can't fix it, you can't go back and change or make up for it. Wait a minute, God, I missed that class. Can I just, you know, can I go back and retake it? It would be foolish not to do that. It would be foolish to ignore that. It would be foolish to not think about what that looks like. So what is this all going to look like? How is this going to go down? If there is a resurrection, what does the Bible say about it? Well, go back to 1 Corinthians 15. Look what Paul says. 
They were a little confused, and he was explaining things to them. And here's what he says in verse 22. He explains a little bit more. He says this, For as in Adam all die. Adam was the first person to walk this planet, and after him everyone dies because everyone has sinned. Adam sinned against God and introduced interjected sin and death into this world through that. And since that time, all of us have this disease. Every one of us. It's the, sin is the absolute most communicable disease that's ever been on this planet. It's more than a disease, really. It's a willful choice that we make to act against a, a God in heaven who said, don't do it. And we've all done it. We've all disobeyed mom and dad when we were kids, and we've all done far worse. And so because of that, Adam, bringing that into the world, we die. But he goes on and he says this, So also in Christ shall all be made alive. Jesus Christ came to fix that which Adam broke, if you will. Read verse 23. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at, those, at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he, talking about Jesus, here's what I want you to notice, delivers the kingdom to God the Father. Jesus is going to deliver the kingdom, the kingdom that doesn't need a name, just like I'm going to the city today. Where would we think we were going? New York City. You don't need to say it. The kingdom, God's kingdom, Jesus Christ is going to hand this kingdom to God, the Father. When? After destroying every rule and every authority and power. For He must reign until He has put all His enemies under His feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is Death. You see, the only kingdom that God cares about in this world is really His own kingdom. It's His own. I'm reading through the book of Jeremiah in chapter 25. God makes it very clear through Jeremiah that every kingdom is going to be ultimately destroyed. Everyone. He walks through the whole list through that time period of that day of the, the center of the world of Egypt and the kingdoms of Arabia and of Jerusalem and all of those in the Middle East. And he says, finally, even Babylon, that incredible kingdom of that generation and that age, he says, they will all come to a crushing end. Jesus Christ will come and rule, and we could talk about what that looks like, and there's different theories out there and understandings of what Scripture is, but it's really beyond what this passage is talking about. But one thing that we all recognize and agree upon, Jesus is going to absolutely rule over this kingdom world, and one day He's going to hand it over to God the Father, and there will be no other authority in this world, no presidents, no you know, admirals, no prime ministers, no one of financial, of political clout influence in this world, and He will hand that over to God the Father. And at that time, that Jesus Christ will put all enemies under His feet, and that last enemy, the Bible says, will be death. How does He do that? He puts it under His feet through the resurrection of the dead, that He will raise up those who follow Him and overcome the enemy, the, the enemy of God, sin and death and even the devil, that He will raise us up victoriously over Him over all of that in the end. It's a legit, real thing that's going to happen. Now, if you knew that that was going to happen, if you knew, like today, I don't know where your retirement is, but if it's in the stock market or wherever you have it saved aside, 
I, my mom was telling me a story. Did you read the story about the guy that bought the storage locker? You know how you can go when people default those? I think like 500 bucks, some of you may have read it. He opened it up, you know what was inside? Seven and a half million dollars. I'm like, how do you even default on a locker that, you know, whatever, 20 bucks a month when you got $7 million sitting in there? I don't even know how that happens, but immediately I'm like, that can't be legal money, right? That's either counterfeit or somebody robbed a bank or drug money or something. But anyway, aside from that, so whatever your retirement plan is, um, if you know the day is coming that that's all going to go away, the stocks are going to crash and burn, your blocker is going to burn up, your insurance company is going to fail, like you're... Your golden parachute, your safety net is going to fail you. Don't you start looking at plan B? Don't you start looking at what do I need to do to be ready for that? What Jesus is telling us this morning, guys, is an exciting thing for those who know Christ. It's something for those that don't know Jesus, have never surrendered their life to him, that need to pay attention to, to think about what that future genuinely would look like apart from Christ. The day is coming where there will be a clear line of demarcation and it's a legitimate thing. Third thing I want you to recognize about the resurrection. Not only is it real, not only is it going to happen that there, Jesus is going to rule over this world and there will be no more mocking, no more anyone antagonizing, no one will be able to lift their finger against him. He will rule over everything and totally control and hand that over to God the Father but the resurrection means, our future resurrection means that it should impact how we live today. You know, some people have a sense, well, Christianity or church is just, well, you're just talking about heaven, just that stuff that happens later on. You know, salvation matters today. We actually technically don't receive eternal life when we die. We receive eternal life the moment we trust Christ as Lord of our life. It's eternal because it starts now and it goes on forever. It's eternal because not only does it last forever, but the quality is of life that is an eternal value. It's way more than just what this world has to offer. Look what Paul says. He's still arguing about why this church that was denying this truth should, should accept it. Look what he says in verse 30. He says, why are we in danger every hour? He's talking about him. Paul was this roving, traveling evangelist, a guy that, was, that cared about people, giving his life for people. And he says, why am I willing to live my life in danger every hour if there's no resurrection? He says in verse 31, I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, that I die every day. He says, in my line of duty, I put my life on the line every single day. For the Christians in the room, he's not saying that he's dying to his sin every day. What he's saying is, is I am putting my life on the line and I am living like a dead man every day. And if there is no resurrection, why am I doing this? He says in verse 32, What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts in Ephesus? if the dead are not raised. When Paul shared the gospel in the city of Ephesus, there was literally a riot in the city. The city was given itself, had given itself over to idols, and the idea that there was uh, one true God that you were to follow and to put away idols, it hurt businesses. You know, the businesses that sold these little statues didn't like it when people stopped buying them. And there was a genuine revolt. It was a complete riot in the city. They were ready to kill somebody. I mean, it was bring out the tear gas and the, you know, the face masks and the shields and, you know, quell the riot it was what was going on. Paul said, why am I doing this if I don't have a future? Here's what I want you to recognize. The knowing that you and I have a life after this life 
means you and I need to be willing to suffer in this lifetime. If there is no resurrection of the dead, you and I don't need to be suffering anything. You know what our motto should be? It's what Paul just said. Let's eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Know what we would say today? Let's party. If there's no life after the grave, who cares? You shouldn't even be in church today. If there's no eternal nature of this, do what we want, live like you want, make your life comfortable. If you want to go hike a mountain, hike a mountain. If you want to go skydiving, bungee jumping, do that. If you want to go get drunk every day and get high and, you know, if you want to smoke weed and shoot heroin and just do what you want to do. If you want to just, you know, go live your life however you want. If there is no resurrection. You see, the resurrection puts your life and my life in perspective today. It's not something that we just believe in that should happen later on. It's actually something that we should believe today that puts our life in perspective. That means that we should be living today for eternity. That we should be living today knowing that the suffering that we're going through has an eternal value, an eternal consequence. We people don't like to suffer a lot, right? You with me? If I want to make a lot of money in this world, I think I would invent a drug and have the patent on the drug. I just, we, we hate pain. We will do anything to get rid of pain, whether legal or illegal drugs. We will, we will do anything to get rid of pain. If we're cold, we want to get warm. If we're too hot, we want to get cool. If we're just, we will alleviate pain because we want comfort, whether it's emotional pain, whether it's physical pain. We don't like to suffer by nature as human beings, right? I sure don't. And yet as Christians, God uses suffering as one of His greatest tools in our life. Because the Bible says we should count it all joy when we fall into various trials and tribulations. You know what God is doing when we suffer? He's doing several things. It's actually good for us. It's a spiritual training moment for us. Is it fun to exercise and work out? Be honest. I'm looking at you, Phil. Yeah, no. No. I'm looking at Lorena. Is it really fun to exercise? Not at all. No, no. Let's be honest. Yes, endorphins are cool, and maybe after you exercise a while, but there's a moment somewhere in there you're like, why am I really doing this? <laughs> and it's sweaty, and it's hot, and your muscles hurt, and you get tired, and whatever you're doing, right? The after effects are nice. You do it for the after effects, not for the pain in the moment. Well, that's what suffering is like. What God uses suffering in our life as Christian, the suffering's painful, but the after effects are what matters because God strengthens our faith. He's got us in his gym working us out. He's got us on the treadmill. He's got us doing whatever your thing is, Pilates or whatever your thing is. I don't know. I don't even know what Pilates is. I just have heard about it, <laughs> but I couldn't even spell it to save my life. But just whatever your thing is, running a marathon or whatever, like he's got us when we're suffering as Christians and his people. Well, Sean, I don't know that I'm suffering. I mean, I had a full Thanksgiving dinner. I live in a country with lots of freedoms. You know, I'm not on the street. I've got a lot of love in my life. I promise you, if you are a follower of Christ, you are suffering in some areas if you're living for him, whether it's rejection from your family because you're following Christ, whether God is, is putting you through some difficult tests or trials. 
He's going to make sure you suffer. Why? Because he loves you too much not to go through it. Because what he's doing is he's putting a rod of faith down your back. He's giving you a spine. He's teaching you endurance. He's teaching you to love him. He's teaching you to lean into him. He's teaching you that this life, really, at the end of the day, is not what you should live for, that there's something else you should be living for. Suffering for us as Christians is blessings. I hate, I hate it as much as you do, but I sure like the after effect. Because God is purifying the junk out of our life. It's like a filter. I have well water in my house, and I have multiple fit filters. I have filters to filter out what the first filter didn't filter out, and all of this stuff to take care of things, to get out the impurities. God uses that suffering to teach you and me what's important in our life. If there's no resurrection in your life and my life, this ain't worth it. It's not worth it. But because there is a resurrection, it's totally worth it. So if you struggle and you tend to throw in the towel early on, you tend to complain or whine or move away from pain, by the way, God will just send it to you in another form until you finally you know, begin to surrender that lie because He loves you too much. But if you move away from that, you need to realize that your hope is in eternity. You need to live with your eye toward eternity, not on this earth. How many of you know what a chameleon is? You're seeing a chameleon, seeing them, the cool little lizard-like things that change colors with their environment. They've got something else that's really cool, too. They have eyes that move independently of each other. I don't know if you've ever seen them, but they're like little telescopes, little cones, and they'll move, like this eye can move up, and this eye can move down, and the eyes are on the side of their head. So they not only have like almost 360 view on the sides, they have like 360 view almost vertically. So they can literally look up and down at the same time. I don't know how their little brains process that, but I could not begin to do two things at once. I just couldn't fathom that. It comes in handy when your priority and your purpose in life is to be food for something else. I mean, you know, the whole camouflage thing is good and the whole keeping your eye out for everything, it, it's very handy to keep you alive. We need to literally have eyes like a chameleon that we live our life with one eye in eternity that that's our home and our future, but also one eye on this ground in front of us knowing that we have got today to live and tomorrow to live and the next steps are in front of us. And we need to make sure that we're living for eternity, but we're doing it here on this earth. And enduring suffering, enduring pain as Christians is part of that Christian calling. Second thing I want you to notice, not only is believing in the resurrection then mean that we're willing to endure suffering now, but it also means that we deal with our sin. Look what Paul says. He says in verse 34, he says, Wake up from your drunken stupor. Wake up! Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning. See, when you and I forget that we have a life after this life, a resurrection, it enables us to disobey God today. In fact, I'll tell you a secret, you know, as I've struggled with sin and you struggle with sin, many conversations with myself and with others, if you really are trying to get victory over your sin, you need to start thinking about your life after this life a little bit more. See, what was going on is people were denying it and they were justifying. Remember some of the crazy stuff with the guy that was sleeping with his father's mistress? You know, remember they were doing all kinds of crazy stuff in this church. They were justifying it. Well, part of the root problem that Paul's finally got around to and putting his finger on is they were living for today. That was the belief of the Greeks that you, there was no future life after this life. You just you make what you can of this life and it's done. In essence, their death just releases the spirit and you're done. 
Well, the Bible teaches there is a life. There is a bodily resurrection that happens after it. And if we really believe that, it means you and I will live differently today. That we will deal with sin in our life. That we won't just give an excuse to eat, drink, and party you know, in life and focus on what this world has to offer. I was convicted deeply a couple of weeks ago. And uh, it, it involved a hobby that I enjoy. I wasn't doing anything inappropriate or wrong. Definitely nothing could get me arrested. Wouldn't be anything that would raise any of your eyebrows. But in my heart, I was giving it more of a priority than I should have. It was more important to me than it should have been. And in that area of my life, not every area of my life, I would like to think that I tend to, I try hard to live for eternity, but in that area of my life, I wasn't living for eternity. And I sensed God's disfavor with me in that area. I sensed God re had removed His hand of blessing. And I sensed a void and of God's um, conviction, His holy displeasure toward me. And I genuinely, God, what is going on? And he finally convicted me and put his finger deeply in that area of my life. And I said, you're right, God. I back off entirely and says, I want to live for you. You know what was happening? I was living for here in that area of my life. Guys, it's easy to do. It's easy as parents to get a focus. There's nothing wrong with all the kids' activities that we put our kids into. I do it as a parent. But if we're not careful, we trans if we're not careful, we can transfer into our kids that it's all about here and not all about there. If we're not careful, we can set goals and a lifestyle and a pattern that we make the things that this world has to offer more important to us. And I, I can tell you personally, God can't stand that stuff. I was missing the fact that my life was accountable to God in eternity in every single area of my life. So I want to challenge you. Live for eternity. Deal with the sin areas in your life. And that sin may not be the big three. You may not have murdered anybody. You may not have raped anybody. You know, you may not be a, a heroin addict. But sin is just getting our priorities out of focus and not putting God first. So get your eye on the resurrection and deal with sin. Third thing, not only do we need to deal with sin, but because there's a resurrection, Paul says, for some of you have no knowledge of God. And I say this to your shame. It's shocking that a church could be so focused on spiritual gifts and I can imagine their services were lively and all kinds of stuff. And he's like, some don't even know God. Says some of you go to church and you don't even know who God is. And I'm saying this to your shame. Here's what he's saying. For some of you who are so living for this world and not willing to suffer and go through some difficulties, not willing to endure the calling of God on your life and the difficulties that that brings, wanting to escape that. Some of you are drunk in your own sin. You're just, you're, you know, when somebody is drunk, their mind's not right. They don't understand reality correctly. They think they do, but they don't. And everybody around them sees it, and they don't. Like, you guys are so drunk on your sin that you're missing people's eternities are weighing in the balance, and you're not doing a thing about it. 
You're so living for this world that you're not investing in the souls of people, of men and women and children, whether it's family, whether it was people in their church, or whether it's people outside the church. You see, the resurrection drives us to know that this life, it, it's important, and God wants us to enjoy life and to enjoy all those hobbies and all those things we do. I didn't give up those hobbies. I just put them back in place. But he wants us to live and invest in such a way that people matter, that they can see and understand the truth of the gospel of our God who saves us and who changes our life and to experience that eternal life. And this church was missing that boat completely. So I want to challenge you this morning. The fact that we will rise from the dead is not just a fact to be believed. It means that we should live differently today. Not just something that we find hope in eternity. I'm genuinely looking forward to heaven one day. I really, really, truly am. I'm not looking to check out of this world at all or do anything foolish. In fact, it's the exact opposite. Looking forward to that is causing me, driving me in a good way to evaluate daily all the things that I invest in my life here. I want to challenge you to do the same thing. Well, let me share the last thing and I'm done. Well, what's this whole thing going to look like? What am I going to look like in heaven? Are we all going to be the same age? Is there a perfect age? Is there a perfect body type? What is, you know, because heaven's perfect, right? There's nothing bad in it whatsoever. And these people didn't understand. Well, look what Paul, he gives us an analogy in verse 37, and I'll share this quickly and we'll be done. He says in verse 37, he says, uh, or 36, he says, You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. In other words, what you plant in the ground. He says, and what you sow is not the body that is to be, but it's a bare kernel perhaps of wheat or some other grain. Think of it this way. We've all seen a little corn, kernel of corn, yellow thing, right? If we didn't know that grew up to a green, tall plant, how, how tall does a corn plant get? Is it six, seven feet, eight, nine? Does it hit 10 feet? Any of you farmer types in the room? Gardener types? I don't know. I have all that corn in the back of my house. All I know is it's taller than my head, but it's up there, right? Who would have thought that that could come from a little yellow corn? To be honest with you, if you'd asked me and I didn't know what that was going to become, I would have thought the plant would have been yellow. I'm like, the seed's yellow, the plant's going to be yellow, right? Doesn't that kind of make sense? Well, the plant's green. Here's what Paul's saying is, is that little seed, every seed that gets planted literally dies and it becomes something else. Looks very differently. Here's what Paul is saying. When you're in our body, our bodies are going to die they're going to look differently. It's going to be a different thing than you and I have ever experienced before in our life. And our minds can't get wrapped around it. I really believe that's why the Bible doesn't tell us exactly what this is going to look like. But he does tell us this in verse 48 and 49. He says, as was the man of dust, talking about Adam, so also are those who are of the dust, talking about us. As is the man of heaven, talking about Jesus from heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we've borne the image of the man of the dust, in other words, we're physical, we've got this life on this earth, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Here's what he's saying. One day, when you and I experience a resurrection, we're going to look like Jesus. Physically, I don't mean facially, but just physically, our bodies are going to look like His. When Jesus, after He resurrected, rose from the dead, 
There's a passage in Luke that says he ate fish. I'm convinced there will be fishing in heaven. There's going to be a river, and I think we can eat fish. We had an interesting discussion in my house last night about all that. None of it was worth repeating whatsoever, but, you know, I don't know what that looks like. Jesus had a physical body. He said to Thomas, put your hands here. Look and see the scars. See where the sword pierced my side. He had a physical body. I do know because the Bible says that our bodies will be perfect. Only Jesus' bodies will have scars in heaven. All of our scars will be gone. All the times I've had to get cut for basal cell cancer and all of that on my head, they'll be gone. Gone. You know why Jesus' scars are there? They're proof of purchase. They're like a receipt. You go to the store, you buy something, it's Christmas season, you get a receipt that proves your purchase, right? You know what the proof, the receipt is, is that our sins have been paid for? It's the scars of our Lord. The receipt will forever be in heaven as a reminder of what that price cost for us to experience that forever. There will be a, there is a receipt in heaven, but no other scars, no other pain, no other suffering. Our bodies will be perfect. But our bodies, from what I can tell, won't be limited nearly like they are today. When Jesus met those apostles, he just entered the room without using a door. And for the sci-fi fans in the room who've seen Ant-Man and the Wasp, how many of you have seen that movie? Some of you? A few of you will get this. There's a superhero in there that can like go out of phase and like moves through walls and people. We don't know what Jesus, how Jesus does, but it, he kind of functioned like that to some degree. Will we have that superpower? I have no idea. But our bodies aren't going to be nearly limited like they are today. It's going to be an interesting, very cool world in which we get to live because the first John tells us that we don't know yet what we will be like, but we will be like Him because we will see Him as He is. And our bodies will be risen from the grave. We will have new life, and it's going to be different than anything you and I have ever experienced before in our life. So, guys, believe the resurrection, but let it change your life today. Let it change you today. I'm willing to bet I'm not the only one in this room that needed to be convicted of getting priorities out of line. I'm willing to bet that some of you that God was speaking to this morning or wants to speak to you saying, yeah, you're living for here on that area of your life. Yeah, you're okay over here and over here and over here, but this area... I'm sorry. It's not sin directly, but you're living for that and not for me in that area. This morning, I challenge you as we, our music team is coming up, to, as we have a response song, to live for Christ in that area of your life. For others of you this morning, you've never surrendered your life to Christ. I want to challenge you. The story, the precious story of Ella is real. It's simple enough that even a child can do it. Well, Sean, that's just a, a thing for kids. No, it's really not. It's really not. It's a thing that God wants to do in each of our hearts. But we have to be willing to humble ourselves and surrender our, ourselves before Him to the God of heaven and admit our sin and admit that all of the attempts that we've had in the past, whether it's been religious or religious practices, to solve that sin are failure, but only Jesus can save us. And it's a surrendering our life to Him, receiving His Lord, can we be saved. Some of you need to be challenged with that this morning. There may be some other things, I'm not sure what, but as you stand and as we sing, I'm going to pray for us. I want you to respond to God. Trust Him for salvation. Can ask Him for forgiveness. Maybe you're struggling with the, with the um, 
It's suffering in your life. Your prayer ought to be, God, if that's what you want from me, I'm willing to do it. Help me to deal with it. Help me to suck it up. Forgive me for my whining and complaining. Forgive me for all of that. Forgive me for not thanking you for all the else that you've done in my life. Help me to trust you and follow you. But whatever God is speaking into your heart this morning, respond to him. So you stand and I'm going to pray. Thanks for listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Visit us on Sundays at 10 a.m. or online at riveralbany.com.